This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. I call this message a picture. I've been studying Mark's gospel and I was drawn into this story in Mark chapter 6 and I may have preached about this 20 or 30 times already. I mean, this story. But I just saw some new stuff in here. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. And the word of God says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And to understand that, you have to go back to Okay, verse 7 of Mark chapter 6. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two, excuse me, and gave them authority over evil spirits. That's Mark 6, 7. Then you jump down to Mark 6, 12. And so they went out and preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And so they did all this good stuff. And now these guys are all, 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 all pumped up, man. And they're coming back to Jesus with all this good stuff that they did. And they're just bursting to tell him all the good stuff they did on this, more or less, this internship they went on. But I see five pictures of Jesus that I want to share with us in this word of God. And there's an application to life, too, because somehow we want to be like Jesus and model this, but you got a whole world of people out there, a whole world of people who, who say Jesus is a good role model. I want to be like Jesus because he was a good man and someone whose life we can emulate. But man, that's nonsense because Jesus Christ is the sinless son of God. He's true God and true man in the same body and not just a good man or role model that you want to emulate. And so the big deal is this. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, God the Father put his Holy Spirit in you. And the reason you want to be like Jesus Christ is because there is a spirit working in you, God the Holy Spirit, who's moving you more and more and more and more and more to Christ-likeness. And that's why you're changing, not because he's a role model. You know, he starts with the big things, but then God, the Holy Spirit, takes you out of those big sins, man. Then he makes you more like Jesus Christ, and he gets to the little stuff, you know. Maybe he deals with um, your mouth, your tongue, cleaning up your language, the H word, the S word, the D word. Or you're convicted when you say God in a derogatory way. He convicts you, repent, you change. And more and more and more. You begin to move toward that Christ-likeness and see the Holy Spirit's moving us in that direction. And that's why you seek to be like him. 
not this all secular nonsense. He's just some kind of a good man or a good role model, man. He is the Son of God. And you will never be holy like him this side of the grave, but the Spirit's going to get you as close as you can in one lifetime. And sometimes that may be difficult. So we look at Mark chapter 6. And we go back to verse 7, where it says, He sent them out, calling the twelve to himself. And he, he gave them authority over evil spirits, and so on and so forth. And they told people to repent, and they cast out demons. And these guys were all on a high, and they were able to lay hands and do healing to people. And they were all on a high, and, and, and then they just came back all pumped up, and they wanted to tell Jesus everything they did. Verse 31. Because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. And so Jesus said to them, come with me away by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place and so on. So the first picture I see of Jesus in this word of God is the picture of Jesus Christ as a leader. He told his disciples in Mark chapter 7, 5 verse in Mark chapter 6 verse 7. He says, I've taught you guys, now go out and do it. He says, you're going to make some mistakes, but learn from those mistakes and some of you have people like that in, their, in your lives, and they love to be alone, and they don't seem to need people a whole lot. They're content to do the same old, same old, same old every day, or they talk a lot, but they don't do. And if you care about these people, you need to do what Jesus did. He was a real leader. He said, okay, quit sitting on your hands, quit talking, and start doing, and I'm going to send you guys out. And you're going to take all the, all the stuff I've taught you, all the stuff that came out of my mind, all the stuff you have in your brain, and you're going to go out and you're finally going to do it. He did that. He was a leader. He challenged them. You've got to do that. I mean, you may have to be the one to say to somebody, come on, let's try it. You dream a lot, and if God put this thing in your heart, it's from God, he can make it happen, so let's go do it. And you've got to be the one to say that. I mean, you want these people to experience. I mean, you want them to have that experience of what God can do, and that's good leadership. You lead them to take it out of the talk stage into the do stage, and that's what Jesus Christ did to those guys, and that's what he does to you and to me. And who do you know? Who do you know who needs some of that? Here's another thing leaders do, and I see this in this word of God. Leaders will take people, he will take people of like hearts and like passion and get them together so they share what's really intrinsic in them. And Jesus said in verse 31, he said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves. Because folks, we live out there in that world and we don't have the same values as the world, man. And we need to get together with people who think like us. We need to get together and pick their brains and say, how you live in it out there in the world and see what's going on in their lives. And you know what? And this is kind of um, disconcerting to me because I see Christian people getting together who know the Lord Jesus Christ. We get together and we dance around this whole issue of Jesus Christ. We kind of avoid it. And I say to myself, why? Why do we avoid the issue of Jesus Christ? You know, ladies will get together and they'll talk about decorating their homes. Guys will get together and talk about sports. That's all right. We'll all get together. You know what so many Christian people are talking about today? Obama. Obama did this, Obama did that, oh, here we go, down the drain and all this stuff. And you know what? We are talking, among Christian people, we are talking more about Obama than we are about Jesus Christ, and the devil loves that. So why don't you just think, instead of talking about Obama sometime, and all the stuff you don't like that he's doing, why don't you just talk about Jesus and the salvation you know in him, and the way he's working in you through his Holy Spirit, and what he's doing in your life? I mean, he is the fire in your soul. I mean, Christian people need to talk about him and what he's doing in your life. So Jesus got these guys together on a retreat to talk about what the Spirit has done through them. Would you do that? What's God doing? Forget Obama. Pray about Obama. Go to God's throne of grace. 
But when you talk to Christian people, say, God's doing this in my life. He's on the throne of this world. He's never off the throne. And no matter what happens in Washington, God still sits on the throne. Talk about Jesus. He's coming again, man. He was a leader, man, in this sense, too. He was personal. He wanted to get these guys away, and he listened to them. Their voice, their heart. You know, I want to challenge you to do that, to be with people. Again, verse 31, he says, come, see those next two words in your NIV? He says, come with me by yourselves. Be with people. Be personal with people. I'm looking at 3 John. It's so easy to isolate yourself from people or send them an email or deal with them electronically or something like this. What does God say about that in this little book of 3 John that most people so seldom read? 3 John, verse 13, I have much to write to you, John says. I have much to write to you. Now look at this. But I do not want to do so with pen and ink. Now, folks, this is one of those places where I say, I didn't write this. God did. It's God's word. I don't want to do it with pen and ink or an email. Look at this. I hope to what? See you soon, and we will talk. See that? Face to face. Second John, verse 12. I have much to write to you. Now here it goes again, but I don't want but, but I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to what? Visit you and talk with you face to face, face to face. Look, look at that. So that our joy may be complete. Do you see that? I mean, when you're face to face, when you're interacting with people, when you're with people, especially Christian people, what? That somehow says this word of God completes your joy, that our joy may be complete. Open yourself up to people as much as possible. So they can see your face, hear your voice, see your passion. That's leadership. That's what Jesus did. He's a leader here. Back to Mark chapter 6, verse 34, second picture of Jesus. Verse 32, Mark chapter 6. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd already waiting for him, man. And he had, now here it comes, second picture of Jesus. He saw all these people waiting for him, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, like sheep without a shepherd. So I bet his disciples were really bummed out when they saw all those people. And I mean, I mean, they had gone there for a retreat to be alone with them. They saw all those people waiting for him, and they knew what he would do. He would minister to them. And here we see Jesus' compassion for the lost, the second picture that we have of Christ in this whole word of God in Mark chapter 6. He was compassionate. And I wondered where he was because he has all those people there. And I heard somewhere on Christian radio that you can go to Israel. If you've ever been to Israel, I mean, I've never experienced this, but they say they've got all these mountain coves, and these mountain coves are just like amphitheaters, and you need no microphone, and your voice projects just like you're in some kind of a theater, okay? Just like as if you had a microphone. And so I'm assuming he was in one of those coves because he had 5,000 men, the Word of God says, and with women and children, maybe 20,000 people. So masses of people waiting for him. And you wonder why there's masses of people waiting for him, because I read this whole thing in Mark chapter 6, and there is no record of healing. Maybe that went on. But he taught them the word of God, says these people were starving for truth. He said he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. A shepherd is a spiritual leader who keeps them from straying. A shepherd is a spiritual leader who feeds them the right stuff and who ministers the, wound of God, the word of God when they're wounded. 
And who were their spiritual leaders? Why did he have compassion? Because they were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees said, if you don't abide by, all our, abide by all our rabbinic traditions, God the Father in heaven is watching you, man. He's just waiting to pound you into the ground, see. Those were their religious leaders. And you know who else the religious leaders were? The Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They believed in nothing supernatural. And so the God they presented to the people was, a God. You just everything's natural. Everything's in your own strength. There's no supernatural power. These people were lost and alone. And so Jesus saw all these people, and he, the good shepherd, had compassion for these guys. Thousands were there. Verse 34 records, and he began teaching them. And he put his time with his disciples on hold. I kind of think he said, come on, guys, you see what's going on here. These people need to be taught, and I'm going to teach them. We'll have our time together another time. You know, all these people knew was a God who was out of touch with them who just as soon beat him in the ground as be nice to him. They were hungry for a God who would forgive him. They were hungry for a God who would love him. And I have to ask myself, how many people are in my life and your life who are looking for a God like that? And so you need to ask yourself, how can we be like Jesus, okay? Do you have compassion for people without Jesus Christ? And we're going to look at how you get that compassion. Do you have compassion? Do you have compassion for people like those Jews? He saw all those Jews, and they were going to temple, offering their sacrifices, but there was nothing personal there. There was no intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ they, or with the, with the living God. They, 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 they didn't know him as the Bible defines the word no. There was no personal, intimate relationship. And he saw these people, and he said, you're walking around, you're running around like sheep, going through all these religious motions, and you're like sheep without a shepherd. And he felt compassion for these guys. And he knew, you know, listen, he knew their end. Got to look at Matthew 7, verse 22. It says this, Many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? What's he saying? What's Jesus saying? You did all this religious stuff. That's all he's saying. You did all that. You were, in, you, you were so religious, see? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. And that word know is just, it speaks of a deep, personal, intimate relationship. And then he says, away from me, you evildoers. See, he knew their end. That's why he had compassion. So how do you and I get compassion for the unsaved? I have to think of their end. I have to think of where they're going to spend forever. And folks, that's what drives me. That's what generates emotion in me. When I think of where they're headed, when I think of their end. People who don't know Christ, religious people. See, lots of people think God is all love. And he never, he could never, he would never send people to hell. And people think like that. My God would never create a hell. But Jesus, who is God, well, what did he know? He knew he could never compromise his holiness, right? You can't compromise your holiness. He can never do that. And holiness demands that you separate yourself from sin. Now, see, here's what, listen, this is doctrine, folks. You got to get into this. Here's what believers have. This is, I would have, 61 of Isaiah. You are covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
you are just enshrouded in a robe of righteousness that covers all the garbage that you and me are by our sin nature. And when you come to Christ, you, you just receive all that righteousness and what the Father sees in you is not your sin, but he sees the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't have to separate himself from you. I'll tell you, that what, I'll tell you what generates the compassion in me. It's that worm. I've got to tell you about this worm. This is Mark chapter 9. And this is verse 48. And our Lord talking about hell. You know, this is not very enriching to me to speak about hell. I don't like to do this. But this is why Jesus Christ had compassion. This is realistic. I look at verse 48. Jesus says, their worm does not die. In hell, their worm does not die. And the fire is not quenched. The worm does not die. I think about that worm. And the fire is not quenched. What was he talking about when he said, the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched? In the city of Jerusalem, outside Jerusalem, they had the Valley of Hinnom, H-I-N-O-M, okay? And the Valley of Hinnom was a refuge dump. It was a city dump. People would take all their garbage, all their rubbish, and they would throw it in the city dump, and there was a constant fire. Always a fire. Not a blazing fire, but a smoldering fire like a consistent charcoal fire. There was always a hot, char- there was hot, hot, simmering fire. And there was one particular worm, species of worm, that lived in that burning refuse. And you're getting the point. And the heat and the fire didn't kill that worm. That worm would never, ever, ever, ever die. In a sense, that worm would live forever. No death in that fire. That's, that's an analogy. That's what people don't think about. That's hell. You never die. And somehow, there's some kind of anguish forever. Folks, that's what drives me. That's why I can't let go and I sense unbelief in people. I got to tell you, when the Lord sends people into my life and I can see there's religion without relationship or they have no concern for Jesus Christ, he's just not important to them. They never think about him. You know, I think about that worm and something happens inside me. I feel for him. You know, you got to know this compassion is a very compelling emotion. If you feel compassion for somebody, you're moved to do something in their lives. It moves me and you to do something. See, when God sends people into your life and my life, the Holy Spirit will let us know. They're not saved. You're going to sense that. Listen. If you're a sensitive believer into the word of God, into prayer, I'll tell you what, God's going to send people into your life and the spirit of God, he's going to tell you, he's going to let you know, these people are not saved. You will just sense it, believe me. And when I get that sense, that worm comes to mind and I can't, I won't let go of at least praying for these people. If you have the slightest hint, if there's an uh uh-oh in you, if there's compassion you feel something for these people that they're not going to heaven. That means the Holy Spirit wants to use you and me to help lead them to Christ. That's why he's putting that on your heart. That's why he's giving you a sense. That if they die tonight, they're not going to heaven, see? He's given you that sense, and you just can't back off. That compassion is a signal from the Holy Spirit. God wants to use you. And you got to think of it like this. You can be part of the greatest thing that ever happened to that person. And you're going to be nervous. So am I, man. I've been in this business over 40 years, man. And I I fumble over my words. I do. But this is exciting. Here's what I think about. God's going to use me, sinful, fallen, sinner, me, 
to bring about the greatest thing. I'm going to be part of I'm going to be part of a process to bring about the greatest thing that could ever happen to those people. And then you start talking to them. And then you give them a testimony how Christ has changed your life. And then you invite them to hear the word of God. Anything to bring Jesus Christ into their lives, okay? So they will experience, I said experience forever, Jesus Christ and his perfect love. Second picture of Christ. Man, I pray you want that. I I pray like Jesus who saw that crowd and his heart broke for those folks. I pray something like that happens to you. I pray when you see a person come to Christ, there is no greater high in your life. That should be the greatest high in your life. Another picture of Jesus. 35 to 37, verse 35 to 37 of Matthew, Mark chapter 6. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy, and buy themselves something to eat. And boy, do I love verse 37. You know, there's, there's all those thousands of people, and they say, send them away to get something to eat. And he says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. In John chapter 6, John writes, John writes about the same event. John chapter 6, verse 5. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him, and he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat. Now look at this, look at this. The next verse, verse 6, John chapter 6. He asked this only to test him. For he, Jesus, already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread to have everyone eat something. And he said this to test him, see. And so the next picture that we get of Jesus is, he is the great teacher. He takes his disciples to a quiet place for a retreat, They're hungry for what he has to give. They come in masses, and Jesus knows they're going to need food. And so he says, he says to himself, I can use this circumstance to train my disciples. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a disciple of Christ. And he will use every circumstance to train you. Because I look at Luke chapter 12, verse 6. You know, you know what the Bible says about Luke chapter 12, verse 6? That, 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 that God knows every sparrow, knows where every sparrow is, knows where every sparrow falls to the ground. He said, these sparrows are worth 10 cents or something like that. And, 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 and then Jesus says, aren't you, aren't you worth more than a sparrow? You who have an immortal soul that God created to be with him forever by faith in Jesus Christ. That's such a neat thought. His eye is always on you. That's what you got to know. He sees where you're going, what you're getting into. He gives you a free will. You can walk into stuff where he doesn't want you to. And you know what he says? He says, I can use this. I can use this to test my beloved. I love this. God is so into you in every detail of your life, whether you're aware of him or not. That's what we talked about earlier. He's working in you by his spirit who convicts you to make you like Jesus Christ himself. And see what the Lord's trying to do by testing us. See, he is the great teacher. You've got to understand this, folks. Everything in your life is a test. Let that sink into your mind. He is so into you. Everything in your life is a test from God. He's building trust. I mean, he wants to take you to a point where you're, you see, 20,000 people and no food, and all you got is five loaves and two fish. And, 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 and you think to yourself, this is where God wants you. Five loaves, two fish, 20,000 people. You know, God wants you to think like this. This can happen. He's Jesus. This can happen. This can happen. That's where he wants you, okay? So you've got to ask yourself, what's happening in your life right now? 
Are you a believer in Jesus Christ and the Lord's very into you? And tell yourself, now do this right now. What you're going through in your life right now, okay? Say, this is a test. God's making me better. Colossians 1.11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, now here, so that you may have great endurance and patience. See that? And, and joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. And all that saying is God is going to test you and much of your life is going to be enduring things patiently because we grow through the endurance. It's a test. And at the same time, you're rejoicing. Why? Because God's doing something in you. We endure some tests. We do it with joy. So let me ask you this. Are you rejoicing? The picture of Jesus as a teacher. And here, here's the application. We put limits on him. And here's where this is headed. My God can do anything. And I have to train myself to believe and to live that. And when I know that my God can do anything and I start thinking like that, then I am never without something so precious and that is hope. Listen, folks, I know the doctrine. I know the theology. I know he's sovereign. I know he has a perfect plan for every one of his children. And I know he may not choose to do a supernatural miracle like multiply bread and fish or whatever it takes. But here's what I have as a child of God. I always know he can. I have that. I have that. And you know what that means? I am never, ever, 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 ever without hope. When things are the worst in your life, what do you have as a child of God? When, when they're as bad as you think they can ever get, you have hope. If God can multiply bread and fish, he has all power. And I'll never face dead ends, and you'll never face dead ends, and we'll never face brick walls. As a believer, because your God is able, you will never face a dead end. And I'm going to tell you something, and you start thinking like that, you're going to live on a totally different dimension. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.